Amen. It's a beautiful day outside. A lot of folks choose to spend their Sunday evening enjoying the beautiful day. Uh, but I'm glad that there's a beautiful day going on right here. Amen. In the presence of the Lord. Listen, there's fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so we're thankful for that. I'm going to read this evening from the book of Ezekiel, the 14th chapter. So good to see Sister Ange Kovach here. God bless her. Let's give her a great big hand. We love the Kovach family. And our prayers have been with them in the passing of uh, Sister Kovach, Brother Steve Kovach's mother. Uh, such a sweet lady. And, uh, and she has gone to be with the Lord. And uh, we, we mourn her loss on earth but we know we'll see her again one day amen what a beautiful privilege we have in knowing Jesus Christ from the book of Ezekiel the 14th chapter uh, I don't intend to take very long tonight but just a few uh, minutes and I want to share with you something that the Lord has laid on my heart that I feel will be helpful to you that the word of the Lord is here to to help us. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and I will send famine upon it. And I will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness with the Lord God, saith the Lord God. Verse 15, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it, so shall it be desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it. As I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in that land, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Hallelujah. And I just want to preach to you a little bit about Noah, Daniel, and Job. Why don't we go to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. Lord, we thank you that you have washed us in your blood. We thank you that your great spirit has filled us to overflowing. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name, O oh God. Hallelujah. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray that an anointing would be upon this message and upon your people as we hear it and receive it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord. What a unique passage of Scripture this is. That the prophet Ezekiel, this man of God, who so notably throughout the book that he wrote, spoke of God, spoke of the need for Israel's return to God. He spoke of Israel's sinful condition, spoke of it so very vividly. He spoke of 
matters concerning idols in the heart of man. He spoke, of course, very famously about seeing the Spirit of the Lord as a wheel in the middle of a wheel. It was Ezekiel who saw in a vision water coming out from the door of the temple. And as he walked toward that water, he found it to be as water that was deep enough for his ankles. And as he went further, he found it to be to his knees, eventually to his waist, and then to his shoulders and Ultimately, waters, he said, to swim in. It was Ezekiel who, who spoke of a valley of dry bones. And posing the question God did to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel answered the question very wisely. Instead of saying yay or nay, he actually said what you're supposed to say when God asks you a question. Thou knowest, Lord. And so he prophesied to the bones, he prophesied to the wind, and the bones became a mighty army in that beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. In this passage, he brings up three names. Three names that are very integral to the entirety of the Scriptures. They're not haphazardly selected. He didn't just reach into a hat and pull out three names from the Old Testament of great heroes of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or David, Ezra, and Hosea. He very specifically said that Noah, Daniel, and Job are people who typify what it means to be righteous before God. And when searching for an example of epitomizing righteousness, he settled on three names and said these three names I, I just can't think of any other ones who, who pass tests quite like these guys pass tests. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. That is saying a lot. Because there are a lot of folks in this Bible who passed a lot of difficult tests and came through a lot of fiery trials and fiery furnaces. And so for Ezekiel to, to pick these three men says a lot about them and a lot about the righteousness that they achieved before the Lord. It's amazing that they did this. Amazing that they did this. Because they did this before Jesus ever lived an overcoming life. Before Jesus ever died the death of the cross, before Jesus was ever buried in a borrowed tomb, before Jesus ever poured out the Holy Ghost upon all flesh, before any of that stuff happened, this man Noah, this man Daniel, and this man Job were able to achieve righteousness before the Lord God. And so it is an amazing thing. And Ezekiel spoke of them because he was explaining to Israel that there is this thing called the judgment of God. There is this raw, blunt reality known as the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about it. We certainly don't like to shout about it. But it's real. It's real. I know, I know it's real. The wrath of God, the judgment of Almighty God 
is more severe than anything you or I have ever encountered in our lives. There is not a devil in hell who can bring to you anything more fierce and ferocious than the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. There is no trial, there is no, there's no wickedness, there's no evil that can muster up the ferocity to match the wrath of Almighty God. You and I have only lived in a period of time where the mercy of God is on full display. And God waits with patience the likes of which the world can't even fathom. If we knew just how holy God is, we would understand how deep his mercy is. For God to look upon all the sins of mankind and withhold his righteous indignation. He's a great big God. For God to see the defiance, the stubbornness, the rebellious nature, the wickedness, the evil, the meditative and premeditative sin of mankind and to hold back his righteous wrath. Folks, it's amazing grace. It's absolutely amazing grace. Maybe it's just because we don't know how holy he really is. We've never seen somebody as holy as God is. We've never felt anything as holy as God is. We've never read and with understanding anything as holy as God is. As, as revelatory as the scriptures are, ladies and gentlemen, our language cannot adequately depict how great his holiness is. There is a half that cannot be told. There is a glory no tongue can tell. He is joy unspeakable and he is full of glory. Oh, hallelujah. And so for God to look down upon this earth and to withhold his righteous wrath just gives you an indication of how merciful he is, how loving he is, how patient he is, how long-suffering he is. Oh, but make no mistake about it. He will not always chide with man. Neither will he keep his anger forever. There is a day coming when the wrath of God will be unleashed. There is a day coming when the judgment of God will pour down like fire and brimstone. Somebody asked me, are you a grace preacher or are you a fire and brimstone preacher? I'm both. Because both are true. And both are right. Thank God for his amazing grace. But don't become so intoxicated with the idea that, that of God's mercy that you think somehow it eliminates the day of the Lord. The Bible says it is a terrible day of the Lord. And woe be to those who look forward to the day of the Lord. Because it's going to be a day where the mountains melt with fervent heat. It's going to be a day that, that, that you and I could never adequately describe the moon turning to blood. This is something that you, it's a dreadful day. It is the dreadful and dreaded and terrible day of the Lord. And you and I know a lot about his blessings, but we know little about his curse. We talk about the anger of the Lord, and it's important to note two things about the anger of the Lord. Number one, and we talk a lot about this, he is slow to anger. 
I can testify to that. You can testify to that. The fact that he has put up with us so long. He is slow to anger. The fact that he led us, led us down a path that would lead to salvation. And along the way, we would stumble and bumble and mumble and complain and fall into sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. But he just kept leading us and guiding us and loving us and caring for us. And then we repent of our sins, are baptized in the name of Jesus. We receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And what do we do? We still struggle with our flesh. We still disobey at times. We still turn our, uh, uh, wink our eye at the things we want to wink our eye at. And, and we go our own way sometimes. And, and what does God do? But still show mercy and still show love and still show patience and still show kindness. So we talk a lot about the fact that he is slow to anger. And we should, because it's true. He is slow to anger. But this is the part we don't talk a lot about. His anger is fierce. And when his anger comes, it comes with, it comes with a righteous indignation that nothing can stand up under. That's why God doesn't use it very often, because when he uses it, it is so swift and it is so final and it is so strong that nothing can withstand its power. We look, at, we look at the curse of God and there are times in the scriptures where the curse of God comes. In fact, there are even times where the prophets of God would speak a curse and when they would speak a curse, it would be done and it would be so. i read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 1. Because Saul, the anointed of God, was killed in battle. His son Jonathan killed in battle. David, who was a fugitive from Saul from much of his adult life, was nonetheless so grieved, grief-stricken by the death of Saul that he articulated one of the most profound lamentations of all the Bible when he said, How are the mighty fallen? They were pleasant, lovely, and pleasant in their day, stronger than lions and swifter than eagles. He's speaking of the man who was determined to kill him. But that's the kind of forgiveness David had for King Saul. And so when the man who did finally finish Saul off came to David, David had him executed. He said, did you not, did you not even pay attention to the fact that he was anointed of God? You don't touch God's anointed. And so David lamented Saul. And notice what he said in verse 17. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain. Upon thy high places how are the mighty fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Notice this. You mountains of Gilboa. Let there be no dew. Neither let there be rain upon you. Nor fields of offering. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. He said to the mountains of Gilboa, No dew fall upon you, no pleasant rain, no fruit come from you, don't become a fruitful field. And so it was interesting when I stood on the hillsides of Judea and looked out over that mountain of Gilboa that David cursed. And in this area where so much is fruitful and so much grows and so much land produces beautiful, beautiful fruitfulness. But upon that mountain that the man of God pointed his finger to and said, no fruit come from you. There's no fruit growing on the mountains of Gilboa. 
Because when the curse of God is levied, the curse of God is levied. Jesus came to a fig tree. The time of figs was not yet. He looked upon that fig tree that brought no figs in a season where it wasn't even supposed to be bringing figs. And Jesus needed a fig and there was no fig and he cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree withered that it could not bring forth fruit. The curse of God is strong, it is swift, it is final, it is severe. And when you looked at the matter of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be judged by God for their sin, for their wickedness. And I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the United States of America, the world in which we live today, is so dangerously close to becoming like a modern Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham bargained famously with God in this area of intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said to the Lord, if there be 50 righteous... Would you preserve the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, for 50 righteous, I would preserve the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. There weren't 50 righteous. Abraham came back and said, 40 righteous. For 40 righteous, I'll preserve the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. For 30 righteous, I'll preserve the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not 30 righteous to be found. 20 righteous. Yes, I will preserve the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for 30, 20. And finally, 10 righteous. The reason Abraham stopped at ten righteous is because there were ten people that he personally knew that were supposed to be righteous. Maybe they looked righteous. Maybe they acted righteous. Maybe they claimed to be righteous. Maybe they should have been righteous. Maybe they knew to be righteous. But God knows the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And it doesn't matter what we claim or what we act like or what we say is so. Only God knows whether we are righteous in our hearts or not. You and I don't even know if we're righteous or not. Only God knows. Only God is the judge of whether we are righteous or not. And when Abraham went down into Sodom and Gomorrah and went to those ten righteous And he knew of ten. There was Lot. Remember Lot's wife? They had two daughters who had never known a man. Then they had two sons-in-law, which meant they had two daughters who had known a man. And they had two sons. There were ten members of Lot's family who should have been righteous, Could have been righteous. Needed to be righteous. And if they had been righteous, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been saved. You don't think your righteousness matters? You don't think your living for God matters? You don't think you serving the Lord matters? You don't think your little walk with God matters? I'm going to tell you something. Every person who walks with God, lives for God, serves God, is touching the lives of people around them and don't even know it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let me stay on that for just a moment. Hallelujah. If you're ready to throw in the towel, stop it right now. Get your heart right with God. There are people around you who need you to live for God. There are people around you who need you to make it through this test and through this trial. There are people around you who need you to persevere and be diligent. Hallelujah. This isn't just about you. This is about the person down the all from you hallelujah and God needs you to be righteous there are souls in the balance Ah, hallelujah 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 there are souls hanging in the balance and you must be right 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 before God And God said explicitly to Abraham, if there are ten, I will spare those cities. But the ten who should have been righteous were not righteous. And Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. Judged. Sodom and Gomorrah 
were the recipients of the hot indignation of Almighty God. The fierceness of His wrath came upon those cities. The wickedness was judged. The immorality was judged. The violence was judged. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. This is why we don't need to harbor any ill will toward people because vengeance is the Lord's and He will repay. He will do it and, and you don't wish that on anybody because it's so fierce and so, so raw and real. You don't want it to come upon anybody but you just keep serving the Lord and forgive and love, forgive and love, forgive and love and God will exact things according to His divine purpose. You know, when you look at the book of Isaiah, the Bible describes the Lord as having a helmet of salvation, as having a breastplate of righteousness, and as having a garment of vengeance. Fast forward to the book of Ephesians, and you see that we too have a helmet of salvation. And we too have a breastplate of righteousness. But we don't have the garment of vengeance. God has the garment of it. That belongs to Him. Stay out of His closet. That's his garment, and if he sees you wearing it, he'll come snatch it off of you. Stay out of my, you, I will repay. Vengeance belongs to me. Because when, when God brings vengeance, he doesn't just bring vengeance with power. He brings vengeance with power and wisdom. And he knows what is best. And he also knows when it comes to a point where only vengeance will do the job. And you and I don't know any of that stuff. But Ezekiel spoke of a matter that, that, that's different. He spoke of a matter that's different than what Sodom and Gomorrah experienced. In Sodom and Gomorrah's day, the fire and the brimstone of God were going to come upon the land. And if there had been ten righteous, they could have saved the whole lands of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in Ezekiel 14, it was, a, it was different. He said in Ezekiel 14 that, that when I pronounce judgment of the sword because of a land's sin, the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously. I will stretch out mine hand upon that land and I will break the staff of the bread of that land. I'm going to tell you, folks, it is an atrocity that America defies God in so many ways and continues to expect abundant supply from his storehouse. This is why we repent for our land. This is why we stand in the gap and we say, oh God, forgive us, forgive our land. We do, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. We pray for our states, our cities. We pray in the name of Jesus and we ask God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because I'm going to tell you, when famine comes, it is a, it is a raw wrath and it is brutal. Famine comes upon the land. When the staff of the bread thereof is broken and man and beast are cut off from the land. He said, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through this land that has sinned against me and they spoil the land so that it be desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts. There is a judgment, there's a wrath for lands that sin against God that involves noisome, wild, out-of-control beasts to roam the land and spoil the land and make it uninhabitable for mankind. He goes on to say, if I bring a sword upon that land and say, sword, go through the land. So that I cut off man and beast 
from the land. The sword is like famine in a different way. The sword goes through a land that sins against God, that draws the wrath, the ire of God upon it. And the sword spares not. Man and beast are cut off from the land that sins against God. When God commands the sword to go through the land and cut off man from the land and cut off beast from the land. If I send a pestilence into the land, pestilence is one of the very, very challenging judgments. You see it as plagues in Egypt. Pestilence is severe and, and, and it has a damaging effect much like beasts spoiling the land. But it can also represent unseen and unknown bacterium, viruses that flow through the airways, that, that enter into the bloodstreams, into the passages of the body. And pour out my fury upon the land in blood. To cut off from it man and beast. These four plagues. Famine, sword, noisome beast, and pestilence. Folks, you've never seen anything like the wrath of God. That's why he holds it back. And he reserves it only for wickedness. That is so destructive. But he says something in this that is different than what he said to Abraham. To Abraham, he said, Abraham, if you are able to find ten righteous, then I'll spare the cities. It's even different than what he said to Noah. Noah, build an ark to the saving of your house. And when you build that ark, you can build an ark big enough to save beasts. And to save your family. And by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, was moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. But that's not what God is talking about. God is talking about a famine, a sword, a noisome beast, a pestilence, that if it comes upon the land that sins... That even if Noah built an ark all over again, he couldn't take his family on it. Only Noah could be saved. If Daniel were alive in this kind of a plague, Daniel would be the only one saved. He couldn't save his son. He couldn't save his daughter. He couldn't save them from the famine. He couldn't save them from the pestilence. He couldn't save them from the sword. Only Daniel. Only Noah. Only Job. This is interesting because these three men were so unique. Noah, of course, being the man who was warned of God. That rain was coming from the heavens. That the fountains of the deep were going to break up. And that the whole earth would be flooded. And Noah, by faith in God. Put his shoulder to the plow. Built an ark. Took him a long time. And facing ridicule, that preacher of righteousness declared the word of the Lord. And regardless of what anybody said about him, he remained true to the message of God. A flood is coming and I'm going to be ready. A flood is coming and I'm going to be ready. I'm keeping my record right and I'm watching both day and night. I'm getting ready for that which is coming. I'm going to be right before God. There's nothing in this world that could distract me from doing what God wants me to do. There's no pleasure of this world. There's no violent feeling or urge I might have that is worth missing out with God. There's a flood that's coming and everybody around me is living for this world and everybody around me is thinking that they will live for the moment and that they would live for the pleasures that are right now but I'm looking to another day I'm looking to a day when the rain will fall and when the fountains of the deep will emerge from the ground I'm looking hallelujah for a day when God is going to take me out of this world as I know it Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You look at Daniel. 
Daniel, the thing that's so interesting about Daniel is that Daniel was a contemporary to Ezekiel. Daniel was a fellow preacher with Ezekiel in the same day, the same generation, near the same time. So when Ezekiel spoke of Daniel, Ezekiel is speaking of a contemporary. Now that's rare. Now it was, might be easy for Ezekiel to look back on Noah and say of Noah whose time on earth had passed that Noah was a great man because it's easier to think more highly of people who you've read stories about but have never met. The people in Abraham's Link, Abraham Lincoln's day ridiculed him so badly it makes the work that he did even that much greater that he, with, that he stood up under such heavy ridicule and he did what was right regardless of what was said about him. He was getting, he was getting pummeled from all sides of the opinion, but that didn't matter. He came to do what God told him to do. And so Ezekiel looks over at a contemporary and puts him in the same bracket, if you please. As Noah and Job. This is why you don't need to worry about what others think of you. Let the Lord tell them who and what you are. Just don't worry about Listen, people are going to say all kinds of things about you. Some of it will be negative and some of it will be positive. Some of the negative will be wrong and maybe some of it will be right. Some of the positive will be wrong, but maybe some of the positive will be right. But don't worry about it. Don't be flattered by it, and don't be offended by it. Just let God be true. Let God be true. Let God be true. Let God be true. And every man a liar. And God will reveal to those who need revelation as to who you really are. And God told Ezekiel, I'm telling you, Daniel is righteous. And Daniel's over in captivity. While all of Israel is under the bondage of, of tyrant kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, and Daniel does not waste his time being bitter that this is how his life turned out. Daniel doesn't waste his time wishing he had been born at a different time. Daniel doesn't waste his time wishing that he wasn't Jewish. Daniel doesn't waste his time feeling like he received the raw end of the deal. Instead, Daniel did what you're supposed to do when you face a fiery trial. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the noontime. He prayed when the sun was going down. He prayed, and, and when the king said, stop praying, you know what Daniel did? He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the noonday. He prayed when the sun was going down. This is what they said of Daniel. Daniel, in whom is an excellent spirit. This man had an excellent spirit. He was right with God. He was a good example for others to look to. He was talking with God on a daily basis, multiple times a day. He was receiving instruction from God. And no commandment from any king could lead him off course. Angels were coming down to visit him. Demons were trying to stop those angels from coming down to visit him. His prayers were so effective and his ministry was so strong. Demons were scrambling, trying to keep angels from coming down from heaven to even speak to him. Because my God in heaven, we don't want the angel getting a message to Daniel. Because once Daniel gets a hold of a message from God, you never know what's going to happen. All of Israel will be free before it's said and done. The writings of Daniel, ladies and gentlemen, are still providing insight into what's happening in our world today. It's because of the revelation of Daniel that we know and understand when we read the USA Today, Jesus is coming soon. But, but when famine comes from God upon a land that sins... When pestilence comes from God upon a land that sins, when the sword comes from God upon a land that sins, when noisome beasts come upon a land that sins and it comes from God, Daniel can only save himself. If Daniel were alive right now, if Noah were alive right now, I don't care how big his boat is. I don't care how many lion's dens Daniel comes out of. 
Daniel will only save himself and Noah will only save himself. And Job, have you heard of the patience of Job? When the Bible wanted to talk about patience, there was one man who stood above all the others. Have you heard of the patience of Job? Boils up and down his body. Lost his children. Lost his livelihood. Lost everything. And that, that palsied leprous finger shaking to his wife. You speak as a foolish woman. Telling me to curse God and die. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Naked came I into this world, and naked will I go out. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Behold, I go forward, and he is not there. I go backward, and I cannot find him. I go to the left hand, where he doth work, and, and he's nowhere to be found. I go to the right hand, and he hideth himself from me. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as God. I asked the Lord one time I said God why didn't you just reveal yourself to Job when he went forward and when he went backward and when he went to the left hand and when he went to the right hand because I mean you're omnipresent why I mean the guy's suffering why didn't you just show him yourself to him when he went forward backward to the left to the right and the Lord spoke to me and said because that's what I was trying to show Job all along I'm not a God you have to go forward to find. I'm not a God you have to go into the past to get a hold of. I'm God right here. I'm God right now. You don't have to fast forward five years and then I can be God. You don't have to go back to the good old days and then I can be God. You don't have to go to greener pastures. I'm God right here. I am the great I am. I am the great I am. I'm going to tell you, I don't know what all you're going through, but I can say this right here, right now, in the midst of your turmoil. He's God, he's God, he's God, and he's great, and he's greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. He's great, and he's greatly to be praised. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me stay on that just a moment. John the Revelator is standing on an isle of Patmos in exile. Who knows what will become of him or become of his ministry. His greatest days are obviously behind him. I mean, he had some great days. You'd think so too if you look down into a tomb that should hold the body of Jesus, but he's alive even forevermore. You'd think your greatest days were behind you too if you had seen loaves and fishes multiplied feeding thousands. You'd think your greatest days were behind you too if you saw Lazarus come forth, Jairus' daughter rise up off a bed of death. You'd think your greatest days were behind you too if you looked back on all that. And here you are on an island alone in exile. Well, I guess this is it. But he did what Daniel did. He got a hold of God. See, listen, I don't, I don't know where you are or how, what your exile looks like or how lonely you are at the moment. But I'm going to tell you this. This is the answer to all, to all that you face. Pray. And when John the Revelator began to... He said it this way. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a voice that sounded like many waters. A voice that sounded like a trumpet. Hallelujah. And the voice said, I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am beginning. I am ending. I am first. I am last. Now hear this. He which was. Now John knew who he was. Because he was there for the miracles. Oh, he knew who he was. And I am he which is to come. And he knew who he was going to become. Because he saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of 
around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. But what he needed was a revelation of who he is right now. God said, I am he which was, he which is to come, and he which is the almighty. Right now, right now, I am who I've always been and will always be. Yes, Job, have you heard of the patience of Job? You know, though, when the famine comes and when the sword comes and when the pestilence comes and when the noisome beasts come, as patient as Job is, Job's patience will only save him. As prayerful, as visionary, as prophetic as Daniel is, his righteousness will only save him. As, as, as thorough as Noah is, by faith he prepared an ark. This preacher of righteousness. But this preacher of righteousness on that day will only save himself. It doesn't matter how well you know Noah. Noah can't save you. If you want to be saved, you have to repent. And you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you have to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you want to be saved, you have to be right with God. If you want to be saved, you've got to be righteous before God. It doesn't matter who's building an ark over here. you got to build your own ark. You hear what I'm preaching to you? It's not time to play games and ride somebody's coattail and think you've heard enough stories about the Bible that now you got it figured out. No! thousand times no you got to get a hold of God you got to be right with God you've got to be ready to meet the Lord 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 Oh, I love you, but I can't save you I'll preach till I'm red in the face blue in the face till my shirt changes colors But you have to be the one to be right with God. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to be right with God. Then you pour your heart out to him and say, God, help me be right with you. Help me be right with you. I need you, Jesus. You've got to pour. Come on, Daniel. You've got to pour your heart out like Daniel poured, your heart, poured his heart out. You've got to be like Job no matter what comes your way. Naked came I into this world. Naked will I go out. But I'm not backsliding and I'm not turning around and I'm not quitting and I'm not giving up. I said I'm not giving up. I hope the devil hurt me. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Come on, I've come too far to turn around now. Heaven's too real. Hell's too hot. Jesus is coming soon. Come on, somebody lift up your hands to him right now. Somebody lift up your hands to him right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what kind of noisome beasts are on the horizon. I don't know what kind of sword is coming through the land. I don't know what kind of pestilence is on its way. I don't know. I don't know what kind of famine is coming down the pike. But I knew, no, Noah can't save me. Daniel can't save me. Job can't save me. Moses can't save me. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can't save me. Nathaniel A. Urshan can't save me. Andrew David Urshan can't save me. Nathaniel Paul Urshan can't save you. Bishop Buller can't save you. Brother Frank Kurtz can't save you. Brother Joe David Sizemore can't save you. Bishop Paul Bowers can't save you. Can I preach to somebody? You better be right with God. You, you, you better be right with God. You had better be right with God. I'm opening these altars right now because somebody needs to be right with God. 
Somebody needs to lay something down tonight. Somebody needs to lay something down at the feet of Jesus tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Only Jesus, only Jesus, only the blood of Jesus, nothing but 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 the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. That's it, that's it, that's it. I need you, Jesus. 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 There's nothing worth being lost over. There's nothing worth being lost over. I will take hold of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need you, Jesus. Come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. Yes, Lord. Oh, capture me because I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name I which I am Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I put my trust in you. Thank you, precious Jesus. 